Hi, my name is Charlie Bird, and for almost 40 years I was a journalist at the coalface of Irish public life. I would like to present a series of podcasts looking back over my career and the stories and the people who have impacted upon me. But today's interview is different. Not a famous person, not a prominent politician, but a hero in every sense of the word. It's my pleasure to welcome from Dunlow in Donegal, Kathleen Sharkey. Kathleen, how are you? And happy Christmas to you. Hello, Charlie. I'm very well, thank you. Kathleen, I met you, was it about in 2015? Uh, I was working on a book uh, and a play for a day in May after the marriage equality referendum and I went up to Donegal, to Dunlow, uh, to meet you. I remember you telling me at the time that you came from Tory Island. Tell me a little bit, first of all, uh, Kathleen, about your background living in Tory Island and then moving to the mainland. Well, first of all, I wasn't born in Tory. As my, the weather was very bad. And that time, you know, there were no helicopters or nothing. It would have to be a lifeboat. So my mom had to go to my sister-in-law in Derry and then I, she gave birth to me in Lefford Hospital. And then she took me into Tory as a baby and I lived there till I was 10 years of age. And it was a very happy childhood. We grew up, we, we didn't know anything about phones or any, not even a TV or anything like that. And we had all our own food, potatoes, fish, winkles, you name it. We went to school every morning with two big slices of homemade scone with jam on it. We had our lunch. And then when we would come home from school, my mum would have our, our dinner ready. Then we would have to go to the well and draw so many bottles, uh, buckets of water as there was no running water in the houses at that stage. And then in October, when we would be doing the spuds, we used to have to go over to the field with my dad and my uncle, and we would set in the potatoes. And then in the summertime, then we would be digging them, and we would be in the hay, and we would be down then smoking on the quiet between the straw, so nobody would only see us, only the smoke. <laughs> and you had no television? No. I remember my older sister, Nora, uh, was in, working in Galen in Dublin and my dad went up to see her and he came home with this box and he put it on and it was a black and white and the house was full and all we could see was Dallas and these people looking out and God rest, my grandfather said, hello, how are you doing? He thought that he should speak to them. So that was the first television we had in Tory. And to me, Kathleen, why did your family leave Tory Island? Well, we we were very happy there, but my older sister was living in Dublin, and that time there was no. If the weather was bad, she couldn't get home for Christmas. She would have to go to friends on the mainland, and my mom then we wouldn't see her as often. So my mom said, like, she wanted to move then so that my sister could come home for Christmas and, you know, summer holidays and all that. And that was the reason we left Tory. But, no, very happy for the 10 years I was there. And I always remember the day I left. I was wearing a wee brown coat. I was 10 years of age and I was very sad leaving home. And I remember the helicopter came and just whisked us off the island. But Tory will always be my home. 
and I've great memories of Tory. So you were actually taken off the island by helicopter? Yes. And it only took five minutes. And I landed on the mainland. And I'll always remember there were people everywhere. Because when we were in Tory, my mum would say to us when we would be going to school or going to mass, as we did every Sunday morning, we never missed. Everybody was down the stairs. And we'd, mum would say, if you're going to school now, if you meet somebody, say hello to them, because maybe nobody spoke to them. So I thought when I came to the mainland, I could do that as well. But I obviously found out that I couldn't because there were too many people. And it was all new to us, big shops and all that. My father had a shop on the island and there was two other shops on the West End. And it was just grocery and food and that's it. But we never, ever wanted for anything. And before the TVs came along, the neighbours would come in at night and there would be a, you know, a talking and maybe a sing song and telling stories and all that. And it was really nice. So when you when you left Tory, where did you live at first? In Falcara? In Falcara, yes. I went to the national school in Falcara and I didn't have no English. It was all Irish. We spoke on the island. So I didn't have one word of English when I went to school in Falcara. But the teacher that was teaching me was John Conaghan and he had very good Irish. But the, the ones in the class used to call me the foreigner because they didn't understand what I was saying. And I didn't understand what they were saying. But through time, I picked up the English as well. But Irish would be my native language and always will be. So then growing up in Falcara, you were moving there. Tell me how many of you, you had brothers and sisters with you as well? Um, Well, it was me, mum, dad, my my great-aunt and my great-uncle first. And I have four sisters and three brothers. And uh, my my two younger brother, their twins, Anthony, God rest his soul, he passed away um, nearly eight years now. And Patrick, we all went to school in Falcara and my sister Annie went to secondary school. And my two brothers and my older sister, they were past school. Nora was in Dublin. But I went to national school, but I didn't go to secondary school because I didn't like it. So my father said, well, if you're not going to school, Catherine, you have to get a job. So I did. And I started working in a kitchen in McGinley shop supermarket as a chef cooking dinners that I didn't know nothing about. But Mrs. McGinley was a lady, God rest her soul. And she learned me so much how to cook. And then she had me working in the shop. And then I spent a while there, and then um, she passed on. I went to look after a family. Uh, this woman was from Valcara. Her name was Bella Rogers, and she was a teacher in Tory, but married a Tory Islander, and she had nine of a family. So I was 14, and I was up minding and being the babysitter. Kathleen, one of the most remarkable conversations, and I mean this, that I've ever had in my life with another human being. First of all, you you spoke about your brother, uh, Anton, and then we discussed uh, about Noel uh, and how you helped in the marriage equality uh, referendum, how you went knocking on doors in Donegal, uh, asking people to vote for marriage equality. Can you just bring me back? And I know this is difficult for you. Can you bring me back to the story about your brother, Anton? 
Well, God rest Anthony now is dead um, nearly eight years now in July coming. And uh, Anthony uh, was gay, but um, never spoke about it, you know, until a couple of years before he died, as to say he came out of the closet or whatever. And I remember when he told me first, um, he took sick, he had a nervous breakdown, he had to be hospitalised. And when he came round then, he said, to me the reason he was in and I think the fact that he knew that I had two boys of my own that that's maybe the reason we never spoke about it but I, he knew must have known well I knew but I would say he knew as well so I said to him well is that why you're lying in here and he says yes because I don't know how I'm going to tell mom and dad because dad was 80 years of the time and mom wasn't much younger than him and I said well at the end of the day they're your parents and if they love you they will accept it. So Anthony went home and told them, and my mum was actually at the sink. I was there peeling the spuds, and Daddy was sitting at the range with his rosary beads as usual, very strong Catholic, and he told them, and they didn't say anything. Mum didn't thing me at all, but what annoyed me that I didn't ask my mum, I felt my mum knew because it wasn't a surprise to her. Because people say, but how do you know? And I know from my own children, two children, God rest, James is gone, but Noel. And when Noel went for equality that time, I said I would do anything in my power to help him. Because Noel was given to me as Christmas Eve. He'll be 32 now on Christmas Eve at quarter past 11. And he was my pride and joy. So how could a mother turn her back on her own child? And like, and I, I will be a very strong Catholic myself. And that time, you know, it wasn't accepted in the chapel and still isn't, you know, even though the vote was passed. But what I said was, um, the way I looked at it, like, I was given Noel by God. So why would I turn my back on my own child or my brother? Because God gave him to me for a reason, if you understand what I mean. Yes, I so, do. But anyway, Anthony then struggled with mental health for a long time because he couldn't accept it. So Anthony ended up... He couldn't he, accept that he was gay? It's not the fact that he, he couldn't accept it. It's because people were getting on to him and stuff. So Anthony ended up taking his own life because of that. He took his own life because people were... Giving out to him, people were. They were more or less taking nice a hand him. of him, if you know what I mean. That kind of way, because he was gay. So, in the end up, Anthony wouldn't leave the house at all. The door was locked. Even us, we would phone and say, Oh, we're coming to visit. I'm not in, but we knew he was in because we would go and the car would be at the back door. He just didn't want to see anybody. He locked himself away from the world inside. And I remember it was the July, I was here hanging out close on the line. My phone went, I missed the phone and I came in and I rang back the number because it wasn't somebody known to me because no name came up, but I got no answer. But just then my daughter, Patricia, rang me and she says, Mom, where are you? I says, I'm here, I'm at home. And she said, did you get a missed call? Yeah. I says, I tried ringing it back, I says, but there was no answer. She said, that was Auntie Kathleen. And she said, there's something wrong. And I said, is it Anthony? And she said, yes, it is. And I said, is he dead? I don't know, Mom. She says, but me and Dad will be here. You be ready. So that I was. 
I got into the car. I think it was the it seemed a long journey, although we were flying. And when we landed at the gate, all I could see was um, the squad guards, ambulance, people all around the house. And I went to the back door and Dr. Dara McKenna, which is my own doctor, actually, but wasn't Anthony's doctor. He wasn't calling. He said to me, what are you doing here? Well, I said, this is my dad and my brother's house. And I remember my sister-in-law saying, oh, don't go in. Oh, I says, yes, I am going in. That's my brother. And I went in, and it's something I will never forget. He was lying on his mouth and nose. He was stone cold. I went down on my two knees. I lifted him up into my lap, and I shook him, thinking he would come, and I would say, wake it up, wake it up. And no, and he was so cold, I dragged a blanket from Mum's bed, and I put it round him, but no. And all I remember then was the guards left me off, and they said, we're so sorry, Kelly, but Anthony is dead. And Anthony was such a good person. Everybody, you know, you know, the people that knew him very well were very good friends to him, were very good to him. And as a part of our life, we'll never, ever forget. But even though he's gone, I know he's still with me every single day. And that's he's still with me. you. He is. I mightn't see him, but I know he's there every day by my side. And that's the way it'll be. And someday we will be reunited again and it'll be forever. So until that day comes, I have to wait. Our health service is here for you this winter, and we're taking every step to protect you from COVID-19. Our services are open and working, from routine appointments to urgent care. Remember to check your prescriptions and keep a list of your medicines handy. And look out for your Keeping Well This Winter booklet in the post. Visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1850 24 1850 for more information from the HSE. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, a Doro 8050, designed specifically for seniors. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a Doro smartphone is go to the website seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. Say hello to our Premium Plus e-paper bundle. The interactive replica edition of the Irish Independent, Sunday Independent and The Hurled. Every paper, every day, delivered to your tablet, phone or desktop for less than €3.50 per week. Subscribe at independent.ie. Up close and independent. 
Kathleen, you, you, you mentioned there about Noel and your your eldest son uh, was gay as well. And, uh, and this is a difficult question, but there are a lot of people will be listening to this because it's really an important issue. Sometimes uh, young men or young girls, when they're coming out, they want to tell their parents. When did you know that your son Noel was different, as they say, that he was gay? Well, I knew Noel was gay about three years. I don't know how, but I knew he was different. And Noel has already told the story on the radio himself. It was kind of wee bit funny. I actually went to my GP, which was Dr. Declan Boner, and I went into him and I said to him, Doctor, there's something wrong with Noel. I didn't know anything about gay because as being brought up in Tory, it was never mentioned we didn't know, I didn't know what gay meant or anything else that, you know, when, before my brother's time, like, and then I kind of looked into things then. But anyway, Noel, well, this was three years, this was long before my brother died, God rest his soul. I went into Dr. Declan Boner and I said to him, there's something wrong with Noel. And he laid back in the, cha- cha- in the chair and he kind of went to smile and he says, what do you mean there's something wrong with him? Well, I says, he's acting different, I says, and he's not acting like a boy. He's more acting like a girl. And he went to laugh. And he says, Katyn, if I tell you something now, I'm going to, two things. He says, if Noel came in to you in the morning and told you he was gay, or if he came in and told you he had cancer, which one would you rather? Oh, I says, I would rather be in, if, tell me he was gay. But I says, can you give him a tablet to turn him around the other way? And Dr. Declan just roared and laughed, and he says, no. But I loved Noel. I never made any difference, and I still love him to this day. And he's a great boy. He's an honour to all of us. Um, Noel went on then to do pharmacy, and then he thought that was boring, counting tablets. He decided then he wanted to do medicine. He went to Edinburgh, and he's a doctor, and now he's after specialising in a, a stroke a specialist doctor, and he's in the Royal in Belfast. You must be so proud of him. I am. I'm proud of each and every one of them. As I always said to them, ask myself, like, maybe if I went on to secondary school, but I'm happy enough with what I had. I had six beautiful children. I love each and every one of them. And uh, Noel went to Trinity, and that's what he wanted. But I always said to them, as long as you're happy and you have your pound to buy the good things, because if you like good things, you have to have money. So when Noel came to me, uh, it was, I was, um, oh, I was still the mother duff at the time, and as usual, Noel would always come in anyway to the room, and he would tell me the crack, what was going on up the road or whatever, but this night, he came in, but he didn't put on the light. But I knew in his voice he was crying. So I said, are you all right, Noel? Yeah, I said, put on the light, and he didn't, and he sat at the end of the bed, and he says, I have something to tell you, Mum. Well, I said, I knew what he was going to tell me, but I let him carry on. I said, yeah, whatever. He says, I'm gay. And I said, oh, I know. And he said, you mean, you know? I says, I knew since you were three years old. I told him the story about taking him into the doctor. But he was—he got very upset, and I said, "I—I I was honest with him. With me being a Catholic, I said, it's not what I wanted for you, Noel.' I says, 
But I love you as your mother, and I'm very proud of you, and I respect you, and it doesn't make any difference to me as long as you're happy. But the only thing that I was worried about is him getting bullied. Getting bullied. That's what I was worried about. I didn't. I I uh, spoke about Noel every day, great boy, everything the same as I did at the rest. But that's the only thing I was afraid of because I knew how my brother was being affected and that's what I was afraid of about Noel. And was Noel bullied as he was growing up? Yes, because if you remember the book, remember the day in May, he got bullied at school. I know one night he was coming from a dance. He never told me this himself, but one of his friends, but during the thing we spoke about it, he was spit on and the broke his glasses and he never said one word. And he never, ever told us at home either. It was remarkable, Kathleen, because you taught me here and you taught me before that you're a strong Catholic, you've got great power in your faith. And still you went out knocking on doors during the marriage equality referendum. What was that like for you to go out with your son campaigning? Well, I when Noel came to me and said to me, Mum, I'm going from door to door, he explained to me that he was going to be doing this for Donegal and he, I said well whatever it takes Noel I will be there to help you and he said yeah, I even went to meetings with Noel, spoke, told the story about what happened to my brother asked people to be kind because whether you're gay or not we are all different and we all go to mass, I go to mass and a whole lot of other people but it doesn't say we're saints, we all believe in God and we're all God's children no matter what and like Noel, as I said, was born on Christmas Eve. And that was my gift. So why would God put something bad into my life? He didn't. He put him into my life for a reason. And I loved that boy. And I knocked on every door from here to Glenty's, myself and Noel and Miel Hollam and a lot, a whole lot of others. And I must say, nearly all the houses we went to, they were Oh, good. Apart from one woman, she said, I'll think about it. I'll always remember that. It was in Glenty's. And there was a wee, I think she she may have been around six or seven. But, Mum, you have to. He's a nice person. And she said, I'll be voting. And that made my day. It made your day. It made my day to hear that wee child say to her mum, you know, he's a nice boy, Mum. You know. And when when the, when the result came out... How happy were you? Well, I'll tell you, Noel uh, phoned me the night before and I said, no, I'll stay with the rosary beads at the table, which i done. Had the radio on. I had the rosary beads and the fags. Must have smoked about 20. And uh, first of all, I thought, oh, it was going. And I was in contact on the phone between him and me and Hollam. Keep me informed, keep me informed. And then the next thing I got the phone from Noel, Mom, we made it. And that was the best day of my life, to know that my child had a right in this world just like everybody else. And even yet here in Donegal, I must say, they did come on a bit, but there's still them out there that can't accept that. But Noel was, as the doctor explained to me, he was born like that. He didn't choose to be like that. And I remember him telling at a meeting, he never told us that at home, but one of the meetings that we were at, he said that, when he found out himself that he was gay, he reckons he was about 13, and he said he used to go to bed at night and he would pray to God to waken him up in the morning 
and for him not to be gay or else not waking him at all. And I thought my child was going through that and I didn't know that because he never spoke to me. And I felt so sad for him, you know, that he, that's the way that he was thinking. Kathleen, this is a difficult question. You know, we produced a book a day in May and then we produced a play a day in May, which you and Noel feature in. Uh, in both the book, clearly, and so powerful a story, and also in the play. Yeah. And you know that we dedicated the play to your son, James. Tell me about James. James was a lovely boy, and he was loved by all his friends and loved by us. We knew James was gay, and I remember you saying to me, because when I spoke about Noel, you were shocked when James passed away, you know, I remember you came down to us, which was very nice, and you said, why did you not ring us, Kathleen? But I didn't think of Charlie Bird that day. But anyway, when I was interviewed with you, James said, oh, I go ahead, but you're not to mention me. So I, when you spoke to me, and I was talking about Noel and my brother, I didn't speak about James because I had to respect what he wanted. Sure. But James was a very happy-go-lucky boy. He was a chef in Castanor and Annika Hotel. And he had so, so many friends that we only realised that there was only two or three out there that disliked him. So James was being bullied several times, which I knew of. He was physically hammered and, you know, by these people that we know. And there was nothing ever done about it. So on the night that James died, I was actually in Letterkenny with my sister because I was out shopping, getting ready to go away on a pilgrimage to Italy, to Padig Pio. And at six o'clock that morning, my daughter Patricia came into my sister's house and all I could hear was roaring and my niece Elizabeth shaking me to waken me. And I said, what's going on? And I heard the roar and she said, it's James. And I said, which James? Dad or we James? And Patricia said, we James. And I said, where is he? She says, the ambulance is away in the hospital. She says, get out. I didn't even get dressed. Straight out the door, down the road as quick as we could. And we were put into a, you know, a family waiting room. Uh, where my husband and the rest of the family were there, apart from Noel, because Noel was going through his exams at the moment because he had only been home the week before, as my father just passed away of old age the week before that. And Noel was in the middle of the exams, went into the room, and we waited there a good while, and I asked then what happened, and they told me that uh, he was down in uh, the GA club, and my younger son happened to be there as well, Michael. And uh, the same crowd that had been told, started on him that night. So he just rang his father and asked his dad would he come to collect him. But in the meantime, his dad did go down and dad said, where is Michael? Well, he says, Michael's away to the now, Doc, he says. And his dad says, well, we'll go up. No, because he says... Um, Leave me home first, he says, because I think Michael will be going further afield. So we found out then what happened. Michael went to stand up for him, and these that were bullying James, they broke Michael's nose, they broke his arms, and they broke four of his ribs. 
So anyway, James, his dad took him home and he said to him, are you going to bed now, James? No, I'll wait for a half an hour. But happened that James forgot his phone that night because a lot of nights James would phone me or he would phone his friends and I still think to this day maybe if he had his phone, things would have been different. But his dad anyway went down and Michael came out and he had his hand in a sling and his dad said to him, well, he had a letter to go to casualty, but Michael said, no, I'm not going till the morning. I suppose if, you know, if that a few drink, he didn't feel the pain. So Michael was first in the door and his dad was after him and there was nobody in the house apart from Patricia. She was sleeping. So when Michael came in the front door, uh, straight on is our bathroom. He went to go to the bathroom and whatever way, way he looked, um, he could see James hanging from the rafters, from the attic. He shouted on his dad. Patricia jumped out. And him and Patricia held him up until his dad cut him down. And his dad started CPR on him then. And Patricia and the, the ambulance crowd all was on the phone and they worked on him and his father kept him going until they landed. And then we didn't see him then. He went straight in the ambulance and he was still living, but he he, wa he was, you know... He wasn't with it at all, if you know what I mean. He was out of it. But we were sure. all in the room anyway, and then the nurse came out and she said, you must be mum. And I said, yes. And she said, come with me. And I did. And he was just lying there, just breathing, breathing, breathing. And I said, James, speak to me. But no, James couldn't hear me. And then Roseanne and the rest came out, and I remember he was all bruised. And she... Uh, she said to the nurse, why is he all bruised? And she said, that was from all the work that they have been doing on James. So we asked what was the story, and she said, well, he has to be moved up now to uh, up to CU or whatever. And he was put up there, and we were all there in the hallway, his uncles and aunts and brothers and sisters, and phoned Noel then, and Noel said, he'll be all right, Mum. And uh, I thought he would because... God rest Anthony, a year before he died, he tried to take his own life before he succeeded the second time. And he was out of it the same way as James. And Anthony woke up after 24 hours. And I thought this was going to happen, James. So we were in and out and in and out to him. And the next thing, the doctor called us into our room, the family, we went in. And he said, I'm very, very sorry. He says, we have done everything we can, but James is not going to make it. And I remember Roseanne shouted, this can't happen. And I must say, they've done everything they could and they treated us so well and they were so well to James. And I don't know who asked, I can't remember, well, how long? Well, he says, go you in and sit with them now. It's only a matter of time. So we did. We went into his bed. I sat on one side on his hand and his dad on the other hand and we all done a circle and we were talking to him, telling him how much we loved him and everything else. And then Patricia said to me, Mum, and she was looking at this thing and the nurse came over. She says, Kathleen, it's nearly time. So I got up and I said the act of contrition into his ear and uh I told him how much we all loved him, but that God 
he was going to a better place and that God would be good. And even though I said, I won't see you for a while, but you'll always be by my side. And we all said our goodbyes. And just like that, he just stopped reading. And that was it. Kathleen, this is so painful, but there are probably people who are listening to you this moment who maybe they have a young child, a young son or a young daughter. Maybe people are still bullying them because they're gay or they're lesbian. What do you say to those people? What do you plead with them? I beg you to please stop bullying of any kind, whether it's gay or any kind of bullying. Because when you're being, I was bullied myself, so I know exactly what it's like, but for a different reason, not because of that. And, you know, we're, we're listening to God. So I go to Mass every day. I'm the Saxon here in Dunlow now. I said the Rosie. I never miss Mass. I always believe in God. I never ever give up on him because I know he's the man that's keeping me going. He's helping me carry my cross. He got me that job so that to keep me on the go. Because if I didn't be doing something, I would be sitting here moping. But I don't have time now to mope because I open the chapel every morning at 9 o'clock, get the altar ready, say Mass. Then we say Rosary now with the lockdown, close it again in the evening. And then I work with the Vincent de Paul. But I know God is the man that is holding me up along with my son and my brother. And even though I have James's photo here sitting in front of me, I see him every day, but he's with me all the time. And I talk to him just as I'm talking to you every night and everything first thing in the morning. But it must be just so awful, so painful. It is very painful. Was, was, was homophobically bullied. Yeah. Uh, even after the marriage equality referendum, even when our, all, the whole country thought we were celebrating because as a country we had moved on, and yet James was still homophobically bullied. Yes, and unfortunately it's still going on today, and my plea is to please stop. You know, there's, every one of us is different in every way. There's none of us saints, and God tells every day to, Treat your neighbour as yourself. So that's the way we should treat everybody as God has treated us. You're strong-willed. You're a very strong-willed person. Well, I have to be because I know that James and Anthony wouldn't want to see me lying up in my bed or sitting here crying. And I... That's why I do help people in a lot of ways. I work voluntary in Vincent de Paul. I talk to people that I know that suffer from depression because... I was listening to actually a programme on the radio just there about a week ago about all the helpers out there. But that help is not out there. There might be some help, but they're not. Because I know of right hand, because I suffer from depression myself. Had for long, but suffered more so now since I lost James. And I ended up, um, I had a mini stroke and I had two stents put in. But they told me that was because of the stress. But it didn't keep me down. I'm still going. Because they say it's hard to kill a bad thing. But anyway, um, I myself went after, shortly after James died, I, I just came to this point that I felt I just couldn't cope anymore. And I went to the nurse and I explained to her, I said, I just don't know what to do anymore. I don't know what to do and I can't go on. She says, hold on, Kathleen. 
And as the nurse said, well, Kathleen wouldn't be here, only she needs help because at best of time, I'm not the best of attending my clinics if I'm in good form. But luckily, she told me to go to my GP, which is Dara McEnough. And I did go to him, and only for Dara, I don't know where I would be today because he helped me that day. And another thing, anybody that's suffering with depression there, I know myself, I had it for years and years, didn't want anybody to know. I went down the town with a big smile on every day, but down inside here there was a big lump every day. And you do find out with people with depression, they always have a smile on their face, but it's when you come home, lock your door, and there's nobody there, that's when the tears and everything starts. So please, please do go and get the help. And if you're not getting the help, go above and go to the board and get the help you need. Because that's what they're getting paid for. And it's the likes of me and other people that's keeping them in a job. Say hello to Independent Weekend Home Delivery. Save up to 40% with the Irish Independent and Sunday Independent delivered to your door every weekend. Plus, enjoy premium access to independent.ie and read our interactive e-paper edition all week long. All from just €5 per week. Search for Independent Home Delivery now. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, a Doro 8050, designed specifically for seniors. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a Doro smartphone is go to the website seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. Our health service is here for you this winter and we're taking every step to protect you from COVID-19. Our services are open and working from routine appointments to urgent care. Remember to check your prescriptions and keep a list of your medicines handy. And look out for your Keeping Well This Winter booklet in the post. Visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1850 24 1850 for more information. From the HSE. When we launched the book, you came to Dublin to the National Gallery and the other thing which stood out... <laughs> You told me, I had to give you instructions. You said you'd only been to Dublin once <laughs> in your life. Only once. And that was your second time ever in Dublin. Yeah, the first time I actually went to Dublin was when Noel was in college. I went with friends. And I remember Noel phoned me, you know, the way here we say hello to everybody. Mom, he said, when you come up to Dublin, he said, you won't be fun to say hello to everybody. He said, and I said why wouldn't I? So anyway, I went to Dublin and I could hardly walk on the footpath, never mind say hello to them. But we went into a shop anyway. I don't know what was the name of the shop, my friend. And the, the two girls, my daughters, were with me too and Noel. But must be there was a back door and I didn't know. But I wanted a fag, so I seen this door. But when I got up, I didn't know how to get back to the shop. 
So I phoned up and they says to me, where are you? I said, if I knew where I was, I wouldn't be ringing you. And I remember Patricia saying, look in front of you, is there anything? And it was a name of a chemist. And she says, stand there and we'll come and get you. And that's the way it was. And then when I was going up to the launch of the book, uh, we James, God rest his soul, it was my birthday. His friends was with him. He says, I'll book you into this hotel and this will be your thing, me. And when you get off, he says, the bus, you go directly to this hotel. So I didn't know where the hotel was, and I got off anyway. And I spoke to the taxi man. I said, could you bring me, I gave him the address that James had given me. I said, can you bring me this hotel? He couldn't stop laughing. I said, are you laughing at me because of my accent? No, no, no. He said, that's the hotel there. And that's why James had booked me in there so I wouldn't get lost. And then before I went to the show, remember, you had to send a taxi and everything to bring me back and forth. And then the next day when I was coming home, I went into the station and I never done this before on my own. So there was a sign up Donegal and whatever. So, of course, I took the Donegal side and went on that bus. So I was a good way, nearly a good bit travelling. My daughter, Patricia, phoned me, who was going to pick me up when I was a Kenny. She said, where are you now, Mum? Oh, I said, hold on, I'll ask this fellow beside me. And he was an old fellow. And I said, are we nearly in Letterkenny? Oh, he says, no, this bus is not going to Letterkenny. And I said, well, where is it going? It's going to Donegal Town. So I ended up oh. at the Abbey Hotel and my friend spotted me and she put up on my Facebook, I always remember, Kathleen Charkey just checked into the Abbey Hotel. So I phoned Patricia and I said, I'm in Donegal Town and she said, what are you doing in Donegal Town? Well, I said, it said Donegal, so I got the bus. But she says, Mom, you should have got the Leather Kenny bus. Well, I said, I didn't see Leather Kenny, all I seen is Donegal. But sure, I went into the Abbey and had a dinner and had a few drinks and relaxed and got the bus home in the evening to download, dropped me off at the door. Kathleen, you are just a remarkable human being. Thank you very much. All, all that's important to me in life is to treat everybody as I would like to be treated myself, and that's the way it should be, and to help anybody in any way I can. My door, as I said, is always open. I am very lucky. I have a great family and I have so many good friends. And I do, as I said to you, I do a lot of voluntary work because I love to see a smile on other people's faces. Kathleen, I just want to say thank you so much for telling your story to us today. In many ways, it's so much heartbreak and so much hope for the future in equal measure. You are truly an inspiring woman. So Thank let everyone you. continue to stay safe in these uncertain times and slong a foal, Kathleen, and we are going to meet again. Thank you very much. So if anyone is affected by this interview, you can contact Pieta House, the Samaritans or the LGBT Ireland Helpline. This podcast was produced by Simon Murta and engineered by Mark Murphy. 